Um, good morning, family. Um, welcome to the Village Church, where our mission is to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and to glorify Jesus. Our vision is broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. If you're a guest today, welcome. There are guest information cards located just outside the sanctuary doors in the narthex. Please fill one out and drop it in the basket. We look forward to connecting with you. Um, Reminder, the nursery is open today, um, and your kids can totally go there, or they can hang out in here either way. And um, we also believe that giving of tithes and offering is an act of worship. So you may give it to the vision and mission of the church by using a link on our webpage, which is super convenient, or mailing a check to our address or after the service, um, which is at the back of the sanctuary. Um, So today, right after the service, is um, the last winter quarter meeting for village kids and youth. That will be in the annex, which is that way, and the last for the adults to meet in the sanctuary for the sermon follow-up discussion. Um, We'll resume that April 27th, and there will also be nursery at that time. So we hadn't had that, and now we do, for babies to age five uh, at that after church time and so wednesday march 9th corporate prayer time will be at the church and via zoom Um, the information and the zoom link will go out in the flock note the day before and don't forget about spring floored on march 13th set your clocks ahead one hour and mess up your entire children's schedule Um, that's the worst and the very last thing we're excited about there will be a monthly women's bible study that we're starting up it's going to be the third tuesday of every month so you can just kind of mark your calendars with an exciting emoji or heart you know for the rest of forever hopefully um we're going to start at six and we're going to like respect your time we'll spend about an hour studying um, the word we'll have like a selected passage and then um, okay Okay. Um, and then we will um, have some snacks at about 7 7 30 do some fellowship ideas um, and you'll be out of there by 7 30 so 6 to 7 30 every third Tuesday at the church house Um, so I think that's it yeah First meeting is the March 15th, which is the third Tuesday of March. Um, and then, actually, lastly, we will have a new program for the nursery age. Reminding you about that again, the Village First Steps that will follow the same meeting time after the worship service at the same schedule. That's all for now. Um, if your week is like mine, and what's going on in the world, in our nation, um, we need to, we need to hear a word from the Lord. So this morning, uh, our words of comfort are taken from Psalm 46. 
So let's hear these words of comfort as we uh, ponder our role as believers in this world. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tr tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning down, dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and gathers, shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This takes comfort in the fact that God is in control. He is our God. He is with us. And he is in charge, even though we don't understand all the details of that. Praise God for his mercy, for his grace, and his sovereignty. utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I love that. And Mary was reading it. The Lord of hosts is with us. And we want him to be glorified today in all that we do, every word that we utter. In our time of fellowship, our gathering this morning, we want him to be exalted, to be high and lifted up, to be glorified today.
our call to worship. It is a portion of the song, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. Please join with me where notes congregation. Joyful, joyful, we adore you. God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before you, opening to the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness. Drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of immortal gladness. Fill us with the light of day. All your works with joy surround you. Earth and heaven reflect your rays. Stars and angels sing around you, center of unbroken praise. Field and forest, vale and mountain, flowery meadow, flashing sea, chanting bird and flowing fountain, praising you eternally. Amen. Be glorified. Amen.
morning, saints. Oh, we can do better than that. Good morning, saints. Oh, that sounds so much better. Now I have the awesome privilege of introducing to you my daughter, Ryan Teague, who will be bringing us the scripture this morning, but I'll allow her to introduce herself. Good morning. I'll be doing your scripture reading this morning, um, and it's from Luke 19, 24, verses 24, I'm sorry, 28 through 44. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you. Where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? As they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Then the days will come upon you, and when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children with you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. You have heard the word. Let's govern ourselves accordingly. posture, worship posture you need to take. And I ask as we sing this song, it's a really easy song, but I would, it says, it talks about how Jesus is a wonder. And I would just encourage you right now to just think um, about the ways that even this morning, the Lord has blessed you and how he's been a wonder in your lives. And if 
if you are sometimes we're in a state where there's hard to I know I've been in times like that recently where it's hard to even think about how good God is but just the very fact that you're standing here breathing right that your your ears at whatever capacity your eyes to whatever capacity are working your heart is pumping blood your circulation blood's flowing through your body Right, you may not be able to throw that arm up here, but maybe all you can do is here. Jesus, 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 what a wonder you are. So I just ask you, ask us not to just sing the songs, but to just take this time, because you know, after we leave here at ten thirty, we go back out into the into the crazy and. It's Sunday, but let's be real. Stuff happens on Sunday, and you're like, wait, all the good stuff from service. Ah, it's slipping through my hands. So right now, I just I just ask you, just take these few moments to just meditate and savor the goodness of the Lord. Savor this time of fellowship with him and with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And think about the wonder, how awesome and how amazing that Jesus has been in your life.
What a wonder that you are. You are Savior, King. What a wonder that you are. You are Redeemer and Lord. What a wonder you are. You are our sustainer and our provider and our helper. What a wonder you are. You are eternal. What a wonder you are. You're the Prince of Peace. What a wonder you are. You are our priest, our prophet, our priest, our king. What a wonder you are. Our provider, our sustainer, our forgiver, the sacrificial lamb of God. What a wonder you are. Lord Jesus, you're so much greater than we can even comprehend. Even right now, you made intercession for us, sitting at the hand of the God on high. What a wonder you are. One day you will come again. What a wonder you are. The grave could not keep you down. You defeated sin. You defeated death. What a wonder you are. You are a, a, a high priest who, who, who empathizes with us, with our weaknesses. What a wonder you are. You, you know what it's like to be human, not from books, but from experience and yet without sin. What a wonder you are. Thank you, Jesus, for your faithful, everlasting presence with your people. Thank you, Jesus, that those who come to you and never turn away, what a wonder you are. That the blood that was shed on Calvary would never lose its power. What a wonder you are. That when you said it was finished, it is finished. What a wonder you are. That in you, we have become the beloved. What a wonder you are. We have adoption. We have justification. We have sanctification. And one day we will have glorification. What a wonder you are. Your life, your death, your, your, your sacrifice, your resurrection, and your ascension. It all happened. It is real. What a wonder you are. That when you was on that cross, you could have got down at any point. At any point, you could have got down from that cross. But you stayed. Bore the, soccer, bore the punishment that was meant for us. What a wonder you are. You allow yourself to go through that suffering. What a wonder you are. wonder you are, Jesus. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. If you have your Bible, please open it to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 44 would be the text today. 
Jack, Rebecca, Randall, Kate, Kevin. Are y'all familiar with those names? They're the five members of the Pearson family from the TV drama, This Is Us. The show could actually be called This Is the Pearson Family. It follows the lives of two parents, Jack and Rebecca, and, and their three kids, Randall, Kate, and Kevin. The show chronicles the Pearson's family across decades. And TV viewers get to see the family's highs and lows, their successes, their failures, their brokenness and their healings, their tears and, and their laughter, their joys and their pains. Viewers get to see this family do life together in all of its brightness and in all of its messiness. Because life is messy and life is also bright. In a somewhat similar way, in a somewhat similar way, all of you are going to become viewers this morning. Not of a TV drama series, but you're going to watch a historical moment unfold in the life of Jesus Christ. It's a moment Christians around the world celebrate every year. It's a moment that we will celebrate on April the 17th of this year. Do you know what it is? The moment is Easter. The moment is Easter. And this morning, I'm starting a new sermon series titled, This is Easter. And yes, I know it's a play on This is Us, so don't judge me. This is Easter series is all about Jesus. It will follow Jesus throughout his Passion Week. This is Easter will chronicle his final days on earth. You would get to see the highs and lows. View the joys and the pains. You'll get to witness Jesus' journey to the humiliation of the cross and his victorious resurrection from the grave. So set up. Get your mind right. Because you're going to get ready to watch the first episode of This is Easter. And the name of this first episode is His Triumphal Entry. His Triumphal Entry. And it's recorded right here in our text in Luke 19 verses 28 through 44. And in this episode, Jesus enters Jerusalem as a different kind of triumphal king. Pause for a second. Reflect on that statement. Make note of it. Jesus Christ is a different kind of king. And that's a wonderful and beautiful point. Now please pray with him for me. Holy Spirit, as we come to the preaching of your this work to the, to the word, I pray that you will, as I pray each week, that you will take these words and apply it to our hearts and apply it to our minds, apply it to our life. Holy Spirit, you supernaturally live in every believer. And I pray that you will minister to each of us today, those who are here, those who may be tuning in. And I pray for those who are here who don't know Jesus in faith that you will use this word to draw them closer to the Lord and maybe to a place of saving faith where they finally surrender their life to Christ and truly find the peace that they've been searching for. So, Holy Spirit, you are a counselor. You are a helper. You are the one who leads us into all truth. You are the one who reminds us of the words of Christ. And so, Holy Spirit, Will you please do your work this morning in this place and in us? And it's in Christ's name I pray. 
Amen. Josephus was a first century Jewish historian and military leader. And one of his written works is, is titled Jewish Antiquities. And it recounts the history of the world from a Jewish perspective. And in this work, he, he tells a story about the time that Alexander the Great visited Jerusalem. Now, I must say, many scholars don't believe the king of Macedonia actually made this visit. But maybe it's true, maybe it isn't true. But no one really knows. But either way, this Jewish historian describes Alexander's interest in true Jerusalem and the reception he received from the Jewish people. Josephus wrote, Then all the Jewish people together greeted Alexander with one voice and surrounded him. Then he gave his hand to the high priest, and, and with, the Jewish, with the Jews running beside him, entered the city, and then he went up to the temple where he sacrificed to God under the direction of the high priest. You see, Alexander the Great's entrance in Jerusalem is what one caller calls a, a political entrance or a political procession, or it can also be called a, war, a royal entrance. And the point here is that what Jesus does Jesus' triumphal entry is not unique to just Jesus. There are, there are many types of processions like this by ancient kings and conquerors who lived long before Jesus did. Even the Roman Empire at this time had its own version of a triumphal entry. It's called a Roman triumph. And it's a procession or parade held in the ancient city of Rome. It's a celebration for, for a victorious Roman general who won an important battle for Rome. And then the procession moved throughout the city of Rome, lined, with the people lined the streets singing praises and singing songs. And like I said, Jesus' triumphal entry to Jerusalem isn't unique, but it is different. His is different from the ones that took place before his. His is different from the ones that would take place after his. Why? Because Jesus Christ is a different kind of king. He's a different kind of king. Luke 19 begins with Jesus ministering in the house of a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector. And, when, and, and as Jesus leaves his house, this is what he says to, to Zacchaeus. He says, today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the son of man, that is a reference to Christ, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And next, after he leaves his house, Jesus proceeds to tell the parable of the ten pounds because he's near Jerusalem and because the people are assuming the kingdom of God is to appear immediately. And after telling this parable, he sets his sights towards Jerusalem. He begins a journey to the holy city. Not alone, his disciples are with him. They're by his side, but the emphasis is completely on Jesus. I want you to notice the pronouns that Luke uses in verses 28 and 29. He writes, when he said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew, new, drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples. It's Jesus. He speaks. He goes. He draws near. He sends. He's the primary focus in episode one of This is Easter. He is. And when he arrives at Mount of Olives, he decides to stop the journey. I don't, he stops the journey at the Mount of Olives. And if you know Jesus, he, if you know Jesus throughout the Gospels, 
The Mount of Olives is one of his favorite, favorite places to go. And he would visit this place three times during his Passion Week. And for Jesus, the Mount of Olives is a place of glory and a place of suffering. It's both for him. So he stops there within two miles of Jerusalem, and he stops for a purpose. And nothing Jesus does is random. Okay, he doesn't just go around randomly making decisions. There's always a purpose. He never does it by chance. So he he needs to prepare for his triumphal entry. He needs to prepare to make this public entry into Jerusalem as a different kind of king. And he doesn't plan to walk into Jerusalem. He plans to ride into Jerusalem. So he's going to need an animal. So he sends two of the disciples into the village for an animal. For one of his followers, he he gives them directions and instructions. And he also gives them like a cold phrase that they ought to say to, to the owner of this animal. Look at verse 29b. Jesus sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you. Where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who he sent went away and found it just as he told them. And as they were untying the coat, the owners of it said, why are you untying the coat? And they said, the Lord has need of it. The Lord has need of it. And so the owners let them take the coat and they take it back to Jesus. But Jesus is going to ride that donkey straight into Jerusalem like a boss. Like a boss. Are you familiar with the phrase, give the royal treatment? Have you, have you, are you familiar with that? Maybe, maybe not because none of us are royalty, right? It means to be over the top in how you treat someone or something. It's to be extra in the attention you give to someone or something. It's to do the absolute most in your care for someone or something. To whom do you give the royal treatment? And who has given you the royal treatment? Jesus and this young donkey are both given the royal treatment by his disciples. They are going to be so extra in how they treat Jesus. Look at verse 35. And they brought the coat to Jesus, throwing their cloaks on it. They set Jesus on it, and he rolled along. And as he rolled along, they spread their cloaks on the road. The Gospel of Mark and Matthew add another detail. They said some people actually broke off branches from trees and spread those on the road as well. So this, this young donkey is walking on clothes and branches as he makes his way down the mountain of olives, taking Jesus to Jerusalem. That's royal treatment. And please notice, Jesus doesn't deny the royal treatment. Because early on in his ministry, he would deny things like this. He would go out of his way not to be in public like this. But now... The 11th hour is here. It's his passion week. His time is near. He doesn't, he doesn't even tell the disciples to put him down as they pick him up and set him on the donkey. He doesn't tell them to stop spreading the ground with clothes and branches. He welcomes the royal treatment because he's royalty. He embraces being treated like a king because he is a king. A different kind of king and a different kind of royalty. And Jesus is letting it be publicly seen and known 
that he is different kind of king. And disciples are hailing him as king. Look at verses 37 and 38. As he, draws, as he was drawing near, already down, coming down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to, re, to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they have seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They treated him as a king. But not everybody. You know, there's always some haters in any group. And so Jesus has his haters. Some people refuse to hail him as a royal king who comes in the name of the Lord. They're in the crowd of the disciples, but they're not disciples. They're standing with the disciples, but they're not disciples. They're watching Jesus make the triumphant entry, but they're not filled with praise. They're not rejoicing with a loud voice. Instead, they watch in silence, and their silence is rejection of Jesus. They reject Jesus just like the citizens in, in the parable of the ten pounds reject their king. But yet, they still come to Jesus and want him to rebuke his disciples for praising him as king. Look at verses 39 and through 40. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And look at what Jesus tells them. I tell you, if these were silent, their very stones would cry out. You think that's figurative or literal? Literal. Literal. The very stones will cry out, blessed is the name of the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Why? Because Jesus is a different kind of king, y'all. See, he doesn't really need the shouts and praises of his disciples because he's a different kind of king. He doesn't need the rejection of the Pharisees to turn into approval of him because he's a different kind of king. Jesus is the Messiah king who fulfills Old Testament prophecies concerning him. Look, saints, Jesus doesn't choose this young donkey to carry him to Jerusalem because he doesn't have enough money for a horse. Okay. Nor does he choose this young animal just for his triumphal entry. He chooses this donkey in order to fulfill a prophecy spoken by the prophet Zechariah. The prophecy is found in Zechariah 9.9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, a beast of burden. That's what he's doing. Jesus is, is the DJ Khaled of Old Testament prophecies. Like, he's like another one. I'm fulfilling another one. Because he's a different kind of king. He's getting the work done. And he's not, and you need, I want you to see this, he's not marching to Jerusalem on a war horse like a conquering king or military general. He's not doing that. He's not traveling to Jerusalem like a Roman emperor or, or a Roman governor. He is a king who is lowly, humble, and peaceful. He's a king who heals, not destroys. Do you believe that? Jesus makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem as a lowly, 
prince of peace. He makes the entry riding a lowly work animal. That's what a donkey is. It's a work animal. It's used as a tool and a commodity. He chooses a, a, a field animal used for manual labor to carry him into his city. Jesus is a king who turns our expectation of kingship upside down. He turns it upside down. Because when y'all think of a king, I don't think of a, he's riding a donkey. I think something more great and more shiny. Not Jesus. He turns our expectations of kingship upside down. Remember, the disciples are rejoicing and praising God as Jesus makes his journey. Remember what they're shouting. Praise, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Those are wonderful words. But now some of these disciples, maybe all of them, are also included in what Luke says before Jesus tells the parable of the ten pounds. In Luke 19.11, Luke, Luke writes, Jesus proceeds to tell a parable because he's near to Jerusalem and because they are assuming that the kingdom of God is to appear immediately. See, they're praising him, but they also got expectations too. Because it makes you wonder, are they praising him because he's going to die? Or are they praising him because they assume he's getting ready to overthrow Rome? Jesus' disciples, maybe all of them, are assuming that his triumphal entry into Jerusalem means he's going to overthrow the Romans. And then he's going to make himself king in the line of David. And finally, the kingdom of God, it would appear in all of its fullness and all of his glory. Saying this expectation and assumption at this point in time is not going to happen. It's going to happen, but it's not going to happen right now. Remember, it's already not yet. Now keep in mind, he's a different kind of king. He turns our expectations of kingship upside down. What expectations do you have about Jesus that he's currently turning upside down? Because you got expectations when it comes to what kind of savior you want him to be in your life. Can you name him? Or do you assume all your expectations of Jesus are always theologically right and sound. What are they? All it takes is a little bit of suffering for that to be revealed. A little bit of disappointment. The animal Jesus is riding into Jerusalem is described as a beast of burden. You know, a donkey, mule, llama, camel, ox are all beasts of burden. Do you know why these animals are called such? Why are they called beasts of burdens? Because they're used to pull stuff. They're used to pull heavy loads. They're, they're used to carry heavy burdens. You see, a beast of burden is carrying the Messiah King to Jerusalem so he can carry your burden. So in the real sense, Jesus is your donkey. What do you think actually happens on that cross? Can y'all see that in this episode one of This is Easter? He's a different kind of king. 
he's going to Jerusalem with the weight of the world on his shoulders. Do you, do you know what, what, what awaits him there? Do you know what he's getting ready to enter into? He goes to Jerusalem with the burden of your sin on his back, with the pain of betrayal in his heart, because he's going to be betrayed. And with the wrath of God staring him in the face. All those emotions. He's God, but he's also fully man. Because he's going to feel real pain. Those nails are going to hurt. The beating he's going to receive from the Roman soldiers, that stuff's going to hurt. From Jesus' point of view, the ride to Jerusalem is in Mardi Gras. It's not an MIK parade. It's not a Black History Month parade. And it's sure ain't St. Patrick's Day parade. His triumphal entry is about suffering before victory, humiliation before glorification, crucifixion before resurrection. That's what it means. He's going to suffer before the good things happen. Now, we're going to celebrate Easter. We'll get our Easter eggs. We're going to put on all our nice outfits. That ain't Jesus' experience of Easter. See, we have turned something that was painful into something to make money on. Easter is not a, 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 a nice story. That's a horror movie. <laughs> Just like Christmas is. Those are horror movies because that little baby in the manger was marked for death. That's a sacrificial lamb. And we turn it into something beautiful. It's beautiful for us, but for Jesus, a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. A lot of hurt, a lot of rejection, a lot of betrayal. You talk about an injustice. Jesus is going to be put on trial. They're going to bring people in to lie on him. A, a trial that he had no, he was never going to win it. Why? Because the system was against him. Because there's a religious system in Jerusalem. And when he put, when Jesus goes on trial within that system, there's no way he's going to get out of there with an acquittal. That's what he's getting. That's what he's marching towards, people. Pain. Isaiah 53, verses 3 and 4 says, this is talking about your Savior Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men. This is Easter. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. As one to whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, y'all are healed. That's Easter. That's Jesus, a different kind of king. Turns our expectation of kingship upside down. What royal ruler do you know on this face of the earth would die for his enemies? None of them. They'll kill him, but they ain't going to die for him. He's a king who is crushed for our sins, a king who gives peace and healing through his suffering. He's a king who carries all of our burdens of sin and shame and guilt to the cross. 
What other world leader is going to carry your shame and guilt? None of them. You think President Biden coming out here to take your shame and guilt away? No, he's not coming to take your shame and guilt away. You better carry your own shame and guilt. But Jesus is different. Give it to me. Has Jesus made a triumphal entry into your life to take away the burdens of your sin, your shame, and your guilt? Has he? Listen, standing in solidarity with Christians won't take away your burden. Singing songs with Christians, they won't take away your burden either. Going to church on Easter, Mother's Day, and Christmas won't take away your burden. Shouting with Christians, blessed is the name of the king who comes in the name of the Lord, that won't take away your burdens either. Only through saving faith in Jesus will your burden be taken away and carried away from you. That's it. That's the only way. That's the only way. As long as you have breath in your body, there's always opportunity for you to come. What is saving faith in Jesus? It's a firm conviction and trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It ain't just knowing stories about him. You trust him. You surrender your life to him. Your loyalty is to him. And that's what Jesus wants for people who don't know him and save in faith. He invites you to come and surrender. Remember what he told um, Zacchaeus at his house. The son of man comes to seek and save the lost. He comes for you. But will you come to him? To Jesus. To the Messiah King. Listen. We all bow our knee to something. It can either be self, stuff, country. None of those things can save you from your shame and guilt. Because someone has to die for that. And Jesus did. I know some of us, you've already been Christians for a long time. I got I to tell you, you don't ever graduate from Jesus. Okay? You know, you, there don't be no ceremony and you get a certificate. DeMarco has graduated from Jesus. Go ahead, DeMarco. No chance. No chance. The gospel should never be old to you. The gospel should never be boring to you. Because without it, you are lost. It should be fresh and new every day. When Jesus makes his triumphal entry to Jerusalem, we're going to see a contrast of emotions. Remember, the multitude of his disciples, like they're happy. They're rejoicing. They're having a party. They're, they're excited. Jesus is surrounded by all this praise and shouts. But when he gets a glimpse of Jerusalem, when he sees that city, he weeps. That's his first emotional response when he sees the holy city. Look at verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, Jesus wept over it. Jesus is crying. Real tears. Not suppressing emotions. And these aren't small tears either. I'll say we're sobbing. He is sobbing here. There's, there's an agony within his soul. Remember, he's a different kind of king. He is a king who laments. 
He is a king who laments. Why is he lamenting over the city? First, he laments because the people persist in unbelief in his word and rejection of his ministry. John 1 verses 9 through 11 says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. That is Christ. Jesus was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. That's why he's crying. Their refusal to believe and accept him as the Messiah King. That's what caused him to weep over the city. Luke 19, 42 says, Jesus says, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. All the things that make for peace are found in Christ alone, saints. Him alone. And real peace is being at peace with God. And the only way to be at peace with God is through Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. And saints, Jesus still longs for his people to accept him. He still longs for them to come to him for saving faith and and redemption. But majority of them don't. Is your unbelief blinding you from seeing Jesus as your only hope for peace? Is your misconceptions about Christianity and the church blinding you from coming to Jesus today? Is your church hurt blinding you? Is your consumerism blinding you? Is Christian nationalism blinding you? Jesus longs for you to know the things that make for real peace. And listen, as American Christians, there's so much things we can go to for peace. And we do, so let's don't come in here and pretend that we don't. Jesus, we, Jesus is not the only one we go to for peace. As Christians in America with all the things, all the bells and whistles and all the toys that we have. But those things are not real peace. Because what, what happens with these things is that, that peace lasts for a little while, then you get bored, then you got to go to something else. When, that, when you get tired of that, then you go on to something else. When that gets old, then you move on to something else. You see how this goes? You, you never find peace. You never find peace. Real peace. Do you want real peace? You got to come to Christ. You got to come to him. The second reason he laments is because Jesus knows the awful future that waits the city of Jerusalem. He knows what's coming. Remember, he's a different kind of king. He is a king who prophesies. Jesus prophesies the destruction of Jerusalem. And this prophecy will come to pass 40 years after Jesus' death on the cross. Think about that. Jesus is crying about something that's going to happen to Jerusalem 40 years from now. He's a different kind of king. A different kind of king. He's a king who laments the sufferings of his people. So when you're suffering, Jesus is lamenting with you. With you. 
When you're sobbing, he's sobbing. When you're hurt, he's hurting. That's the type of king he is. He, he, he doesn't sit on his throne when you're weak, when you're hurting. He comes down from the throne and is present with you in it. He's in it with you. But do you believe it? In 66 AD, there would be a Jewish revolt against the Roman Empire. And the cause of this revolt is going to be high taxes and religious tension. And also, the Emperor Nero is going to steal from the Jewish temple all of its treasure. And those things combined added to what is called the, the First Jewish-Roman War. And a decisive event in this war would take place on April 14, 70 A.D. Emperor Nero is going to send General Titus to seize the city of Jerusalem. The siege will start three days before the Passover. It shall last four months, three weeks, and four days. It will end on, on September the 8th, 70 A.D., the city and the temple is completely destroyed by the Roman Empire. And Jesus prophesies his destruction in verses 43 and 44. And these are hard words to hear. Hard words to hear. Listen, listen, listen to the words of Christ. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will leave not one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And those are hard words to hear because, again, this stuff is not make-believe. People were going to lose their life when this happens. And Jesus is lamenting it 40 years earlier. He wails about it. He sobs about it. Ezekiel 18, verses 30 through 32 says, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions. Lest your iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions you have committed. Make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. So turn and live. These are the words. These words is what Jesus meant when he says, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus' earthly presence is the way God is visiting the Jewish people at this time. It's a visit of grace and mercy. For three years, Jesus has been calling his people to faith and repentance. For three years, he's been performing great miracles and great works among them. For three years, he's been preaching the good news of the kingdom. For three years, he has been living with them and among them. For three years, he has been saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But none of his actions or words were enough. People still refused to come. They continue in their rejection. And yet in the 11th hour, 
Jesus still longs for them to come. He doesn't find pleasure in giving this prophecy. He's weeping about it. He doesn't find pleasure in the future destruction of Jerusalem. He's weeping about it. And I bet you, and I bet you, saints, on April the 14th, 70 A.D., through September the 8th, 70 A.D., Jesus will weep in heaven when it actually happens. He's he's weeping before it happens, and he's going to weep when it happens. He's going to lament four months, three weeks, and four days for Jerusalem in heaven because he's a different kind of king. And he does the same for you. As his people. He's a king with a different type of triumphal entry. He's a king who is humble, meek, and peaceful. He's a king who fulfills Old Testament prophecies. He's a king who turns our expectations of kingship upside down. He's a king who carries your burdens of sin, shame, and guilt. He's a king who prophesies. He's a king who laments over our unbelief and our suffering. And he is a king who is Emmanuel to the end. He is a king who continues to make intercession for his people to the end. Howard Thurman was an African-American author, pastor, theologian, and he once wrote, He's king of kings, Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, the first and the last. No man works like him. He built a platform in the air. No man works like him. He meets the saints from everywhere. No man works like him. He pinched a tent on Canaan's ground. No man works like him. He broke the Roman kingdom down. No man works like him. Because he's a different kind of king, saints. Different kind of king. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for being the king that we all need but don't deserve. Thank you for being a king who carries our sin, a king who sacrifices for us, a king who who comes down from his throne and sits with us in our pain. Thank you for that, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I pray that these words, will you will take them and plant them in our hearts, plant them in our minds, And bring them back to us this upcoming week when things are hard, when we experience different conflicts, when we experience disappointment. Remind us that the King of Kings is with us. The Lord of Lord is with us in it. Jesus is still Emmanuel. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Please stand, saints, as we close our service.
you're our guest. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you're tuning in online, thank you so much for being with us as well. Also, uh, don't forget about the youth and the village kids gatherings after service and the sermon discussion as well. Now, here's God's benediction to his beloved. And may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. All God's people said, amen. Please greet one another, saints.